You're listening to the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast with your host, Letitia Ringe, and this is episode number six. Hello, beautiful people. It's Letitia here, and welcome to our next episode on the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast, a podcast designed to inspire, empower, and support you on the journey of uncovering your truth and purpose in the world. Words cannot describe just how much of a profound impact today's guest has had on my life. She has had arguably the biggest influence on my adult life to date. And for anyone who knows me or has read my work, you probably already can guess who this person is. Her work came to me at a time when I was at my lowest. I was working as a family lawyer in Sydney, Australia, and had just been diagnosed with endometriosis, which for anyone who understands what that is, it's not great. I had massive boundary issues, particularly when it came to my work, and my body was shutting down. And that's when a very dear friend of mine, Christine, sent me an episode of today's guest's fabulous podcast. And from that moment, I knew that I was meant to find this work, and my life changed drastically. So I am super excited to share today's interview with my friend, mentor, the one and only Jess Lively. Jess is most known for her podcast, The Lively Show, which has over 9 million downloads. She also teaches two, soon to be three, incredible online courses, both of which I have done and highly recommend. Her mission is to share a more peaceful, fulfilling and joyful approach to life than the conventional methods to success, such as hustle and grind. And she now helps people worldwide through her work on consciousness, meditation, and neurology. With the core components of her work currently being intuition, intention, flow, and alignment. If I am ever asked for people to recommend, Jess is the first person I mention. Through her work, I have been connected to other incredible people, including Elizabeth Gilbert, Eckhart Tolle, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Brooke Castillo, Elisa Vitti, Byron Katie, and so many more. Originally from the USA, Jess now resides in my hometown in Sydney, Australia. She talks extensively about how connecting with her intuition and trusting in its guidance saw her achieve incredible heights in her career and life, including flowing around the world for 20 months and growing her business so that it has doubled on doubled each year. Today, find out how Jess started her career at 15 years old with a jewelry business that she eventually grew into a full-time career before moving into business coaching, blogging, and then thanks to the guidance she received through her intuition to living what she calls her dream life. This episode is one of the rare occasions you will hear from Jess on the other side, i.e. as the interviewee. We talk in depth on so many topics, including how she got to be doing the work she does today, Jess's definition of success, how to get peaceful answers to all your problems, what Jess understands to be intuition, 
the difference between journaling and writing to your intuition, why we feel resistance and how to overcome it, how to tune into your intuition, what questions to ask your intuition, what flow means to Jess and how this concept came into her life, how to live in alignment, how to live with the duality of the intuition and the ego, the significance of subconscious blocks, how Jess uses both her intuition and flow when it comes to her business. And lastly, we hear from Jess's intuition about what advice to give someone just getting started looking for purpose. No matter how advanced you are when it comes to intuition and flow, you will learn something new today. If you want to hear more about how Jess's work has changed my life, you can check it out in the recent interview I did with Jess on The Lively Show over at www.jesslively.com forward slash Letitia Ringe. And now let's dive in to the episode. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Create a Life That is Beautiful podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, Jess, I am so, so, so thrilled to be speaking with you today to share your inspiring and unusual journey with all of our listeners. I won't dive into what I already know about your story yet, other than to say that you have rebelled from some pretty major norms when it comes to your career, running a business and lifestyle, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But the main reason, though, I'm so excited is that your journey and learnings have had such a profound impact on my life that came at the most perfect time in my life when I was working as a stressed out lawyer. And so I just wanted to say how much I respect you and I'm so excited to share straight from the source your wisdom with all of our wonderful listeners. Oh, well, thank you. And it just is a testament to your resonating with what I was sharing at the time and still obviously going forward from that (laughs) point. So it's great to hear it resonated with you. Good. Well, so Jess, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you are creating in the world today? Yeah, I haven't answered this question in a long time. And the answer now is different than it's ever been before, I guess, to introduce myself. I grew up in the US, um, spent my childhood in Michigan, went to U of M, at 15 started a jewelry company that I did for 14 years. So from there till 28, I think it was. And then um, I had moved to Chicago, started the business full time after college, knowing that I wanted to help people because I was so miserable in uni or college while I was studying to be a have the successful life that I was told as an American or kind of a Western person to have was so miserable and stressed out at that stage that instead of going to the midlife crisis stage, I actually just realized ahead of time, I got there a little sooner. I was like, wait, this isn't going to work. It's just going to keep moving. Like I'm never actually going to get there. So wherever there is, I'm not there and I'm not going to get there this way. So I decided to find the other way to live life that I'd heard spoken about from actually Michelangelo was the first person that that really touched me as uh, an indication of something else, but decided to do the jewelry company so that I could be in charge of my time while I figured out that other way to live life and then share that message with others. So I did that and became a business coach briefly as I transitioned from blogging and helping people online uh, away from jewelry. 
and then had a like a marriage, two dogs, a house, like all the normal stuff that an American 27-year-old or just lively as a 27-year-old wanted. And then at 31, realized through following my intuition that there was something new afoot and that meant and involved ending the relationship very positively and very lovingly. It just, we had different visions and values for what we wanted in life going forward. And so we just honored those visions and values and supported each other in doing them. And then I think it was six or nine months later after that, I ended up having this offer to sell my house and all my furniture the week before I left on a trip to Europe. And that was a huge leap for me. That was really a huge turning point. And I had no idea how long I'd be gone or whether I should do it. But intuition kind of led me to the decision did that and didn't know where I was going to be or stay or how long I was going to go and where I was going to end up every single day for 20 months. And then just around that 20 month mark, I realized that Sydney, Australia, your home base actually, Mm -hmm. uh, is my love right now. So this is where I'm creating a base and basically giving my closet a or sorry, giving my suitcase a closet to be in and to enjoy. And at this moment, that's kind of just lively, single 33-year-old with a closet for my suitcase in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't tell you this, but I suspected that you would end up in Sydney after we met uh, the first time in London at one of your meetups because... Really? Yeah, we were talking about... Um, that was when you were just deciding about whether you were going to go to Sydney and um I'm, wait you thought I was gonna go to Sydney before I even you thought I was gonna live in Sydney before I even went to Sydney <laughs> yes because wow. I just thought you would resonate with the people there and I don't know oh. I had a feeling because you were so excited about Sydney and I thought I just bet this is where you end up so I was it was so funny when um you announced that <laughs> you were going to yeah settle down permanently for the first time and it was going to be in Sydney after 20 months oh. Well, you know before I did, before anyone did. And so very psychic points to you. But also, you know, what's interesting is I don't even feel, to be honest, like this is permanent. This is just where I'm at right now. And that's been a big shift for me is to feel like uh, when people ask the where are you from question, that was really hard. And well, at first it was fun. For the first maybe like six months of the trip, like, actually, I don't live anywhere and blah, blah, blah. Tell the story. By the end of the 20 months, I was like, I don't even want to answer this question because <laughs> there are so many questions that get followed up with. So why are you traveling and how did this happen? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I love being able to say now I'm from Sydney, but I actually don't feel like this is a home. Like, I actually feel like I'm creating another part of my vision that I had and this still isn't it, but it's just where I'm at right now. And I actually wonder if that will ever shift. Like, will this feeling of this is just where I'm at right now? I'm not really feeling like I'm from anywhere. Yeah, I lived in the US for a long time and those sorts of things. But nowhere really feels like home. And that shift, I think, is happening more and more for more people. And I think it will continue to. And it's kind of different, obviously, than the norm, but also exciting as a human looking at our evolution from a more species perspective, which I like to do. Yeah, absolutely. But also it's kind of like, you know, this is your current season of your life, which I think is a term that you've used before. Yeah, this is where I'm at right now. 
but not permanently. It's just now. This I really love thinking of Sydney as a base, but I don't look at it as a home. Not yet. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll marry and have children and never leave. But but right now, I it feels more comfortable to consider it a base than a home. Well, it's so interesting because I guess with everything that, you know, you teach, would you ever ever consider something so permanent? Like maybe you would end up somewhere for a long time, but maybe you wouldn't pigeonhole yourself into that at any time. I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. I actually don't know because there's so many unknowns in my life, right? So I still would love to have a partner and a family and a and I love decorating. So for the 20 months I did not get to decorate, I just lived in beautiful places around the world that were more like Airbnb type places. So I found or even hotels. I just found my fix for design in restaurants that were pretty and other people's homes that were beautiful that I stayed in through Airbnbs or hotels. So I got to get designed that way, but I am loving decorating. And I love the idea of having the ability to decorate many places in my future because I just, it's my, it's the thing for me because I help with what I love. Everything I love gets funneled and channeled into helping through my love of it. I share it, right? With the show and everything that I do. But the decorating I don't do that. I did do it professionally, one project for a hotel in Chicago years ago. And that was a beautiful experience. I'm so glad I got to do it and show myself I would be good at interior design and could have done that as a career. But I knew that my legacy was much more aligned with what I share and how I'm helping people now than that. That was not my super special gift that has to be my legacy. And everyone needs to remember the beautiful places I designed. But it's the thing for me. So it's my like personal hobby. It's not my passion that I then channel into other. So all of this to say, I, I don't know if I'll have a home or especially with children, but I do have this vision and I don't even know my partner to know what we're going to want to do together. But I have this vision of having places I spend time in or live in around the world and that Yes, I will have more likely homes than home. There may be a base, and especially when I have children in different ages, like who knows what I'll really want. But um, I guess this is all to say a very long answer. Of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I agree with you. That's what I would love to have uh, multiple homes where you can, you know, maybe a holiday home somewhere and you can go there multiple times or in, in various locations. That sounds pretty great. And I think you're right. It is, um, you know, an evolution with our um, culture as well, I think, because, you know, around so much more easily um, these days. But so why don't you share what your like main sort of teaching is at the moment? Right. It took me five minutes just to explain where I've been rather than where I'm at now. So <laughs> what I do now, I have the podcast called The Lively Show, which I share on weekly. And it's designed to uplift, inspire and add extra intention to your everyday, which thankfully was a broad enough subject <laughs> to hold all of the many phases of my consciousness and therefore the show's point of view through the years. I started in 2014 after blogging for five years and uh, helping people through the blog was great, but I always knew I wanted to have a TV show. This was the vision. Just at in uni was like, I gotta have a TV show to help people like Oprah and Martha Stewart because at that time, that was the um, example that I saw and resonated most with. So, I had this blog 
trying to get to a show and it was kind of like it did well and I had a following and I supported myself with the you know the readers that um, became business coaching clients etc but it wasn't really taking off in after five years of putting in every single day you know posting four to six times a week for five years to see it kind of plateau at maybe year three in terms of growth, uh, even though it was great, it wasn't growing. And so I was like, what's going on here? Maybe I could do this differently. And this is right at this, well, podcasting had been around for a very long time, but was getting a resurgence that you've now seen grow from 2014. So I thought about podcasting as an opportunity to get closer to that quote unquote show I wanted to have that I thought a TV show would be because the content I'd be interactive, I'd have conversations, I'd have guests, all this stuff that I do on the show is much more aligned with that than it was writing a blog post myself every single day. So the resin, I guess the, the way that that show resonated with its audience over the years, and I think there's been audiences as the point of view that I've shared has shifted so dramatically to some, then that's totally fine with me because I don't really care. <laughs> like I'm so attached to what is my intuition calling me to? What do I feel alignment with? Like that is all that I care about. Mo That's what I care about most, let's say. But the other things that have come out of this journey and the quest for 10, 12 years of studying personal development have come into the form of classes. So after about 10 years of studying all this stuff and blogging about it, I then wove what I did and had learned and had gathered that really worked to get out of that hustle and grind mentality that I was drowning and unhappy with as a uni student and as a 20 something, I turned and channeled after 14 months of putting this course together, seriously, spending a lot of time to incorporate basically it was kind of my dissertation It's my PhD, I spent eight years studying and then I poured it all into this course. The course has changed over a 1000 lives around the world called life with intention online. But as I kept going, and I kept evolving, I didn't stop there, even though that process does work, and it does give people the results they want in their lives. There's other ways, other modalities, and even more effective and efficient ways to do things. So those lessons and those realizations got channeled into my most recent course called Flow with Intention Online. And actually, as we're speaking about this, I'm not sure when this will air, the last live round of that course is airing now because we've had enough members of that course, which you've been part of, that want to go further than that. So I'm creating a new advanced course, which will be coming out either this fall or next winter, a year from now, along with another big project that is the summation of the 20 months that I've been studying and traveling around the world. So that's what I do now. Basically, to summarize it in three words, it's podcast and online, well, <laughs> and classes, classes online, four words. Thing that I think is so great, which is uh, something that is a key thing you've done, which I'm not sure whether you did intentionally, but because you're forever growing and evolving, and how you said when you first started the blog, you kept it so broad, and then that has allowed you to continue growing and evolving, and not having to, you know, completely stop what you're doing and then start something completely new. Although there are lots of beginning uh, endings and beginnings along the journey, but you've kept it so it can grow with you which I think is actually really great advice for anyone listening for anything that they're creating. Um, so did you, when, 
when let's just go back for a moment when you were in college what did you sort of think what was the vision for yourself back then well when i applied for college the vision was i'm going to have like a million dollar a very successful i don't i don't know if i had a specific monetary goal but probably in the millions cuz that sounded successful <laughs> but i would have a like a very successful jewelry company cuz like i said i had started when i was 15 with kind of by accident starting this jewelry company basically the story of that was just i was making ankle bracelets at a pool one day and some women wanted to buy the ankle bracelets i was making so think of like a lemonade stand business at the core is not much more difficult than that. You make something, people buy it. That's it. That's a transaction. You make something that they want to buy. You have a business. Mm -hmm. There's more to it as you grow from there, but it's really that simple. So that was the simple start. I got into 12 stores in high school, then did it in uni as well as a side job. So it was always this way of making money because my family did a really great job. Like my dad was like a self made man, but he and he had, you know, boats. We grew up with a big house and stuff. But the interesting thing, and I really appreciate this about him, it was his money, not ours as kids. So we had like, yes, our, we had food. We had all this, you know, but if we wanted to go to the movies or we wanted to go shopping and it wasn't the new uh, season for school, it wasn't like back to school clothes or Christmas or holidays, we had to buy what we wanted for ourselves as kids. So me having a stream of income through this jewelry company that they also were very supportive of when it did kind of by chance happen, really made me self-reliant and understand how to make money, which I think is a really invaluable skill for people to have because it gives them the ability to then do whatever they want. Because if you know how to make money, you know how to support yourself while you do whatever you want. And in the beginning, like I said, for the first five years, I was a jewelry designer after college. So it wasn't what I wanted to help people. And I wanted to do all the stuff I'm doing now. But I didn't make money that way. But I was still able to make money in a different way through the jewelry for a really long time. And I've totally gone off your question. So, so how would you define success now? Ooh, alignment with your intuition. So basically, feeling a positive feeling about where you are now and where you're going. So sad, feeling satisfied and eager for more. That's success to me. Because you're always going to be growing because you are a part of a universe that is expanding. In this phase or cycle of a universe that we happen to live in, scientists and the mystics have shown it is an expanding phase. So as a particle of that universe, I think the science and the way consciousness has been in the past likes to think of us as separate from the universe. We're watching it like little uh, beings behind glass and we're like observing the universe as a separate thing on the other side of the glass, you know, like a two-way mirror. We're kind of watching it and observing it. No, we're a part of it. We're still mm -hmm. on this planet. Like everything about us, like materially came from this planet. Like the the carbon, the the iron in our blood, all of these things came from the materials of the universe. The iron in your blood comes from the galaxies colliding. That's where iron comes from is galaxies colliding. That's what creates iron. Our core of our planet is iron because of this. Like So we think we're separate, but we're actually incredibly linked. So success is never a destination because as a universe, there's no destination, at least not yet. There is just expansion. So being satisfied with where you are now, while at the same time being eager for more, it's inevitable that that will always be where you're at or that is as good as it will ever get. Does that make sense? 
Like you can have a very brief moment or month or two of like, okay, I've made it, whatever, you know, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, that will get boring if you really stayed there and you just stayed in that without any new desire, that would feel boring because your soul is a part of this universe that is expanding. So a new desire is inevitably going to pop up. Even if you get all the shoes you want, eventually you might want less shoes. (laughs) And then you may want more shoes. And it's kind of like we look at things so linearly as a Western last 300 year society where the universe is far more cyclical in nature and it's ongoing. It is continual. And I think that we're just opening our eyes and understanding to that's how it's going to look in our lives too. Yeah. So we're growth seeking beings, as you like to say. Yes. <laughs> and also I, I was just thinking, it's like, you know how the grass is always greener. And I was thinking about this where, with your travel, because, you know, 20 months of travel um, around the world is, you know, for many people, a dream situation. But then, you know, even that gets tiring after a while. And then what you crave is (laughs) the complete opposite. So we always are wanting something else eventually. I 100% agree. But when did intuition, when did that, when was the first moment that you realized that you have the, you have the benefit of this, you know, inner wisdom or guidance? You know, in my uni years, I had general vague feelings of desire and knowing that that was right for me, but it was never any direct information. It was just kind of like, I knew I was so unhappy <laughs> chasing success the way I was taught to from personal development and the, the, the business school I was at, etc. So I was like, this isn't working. And then I remember thinking in the the library one day, I was like, I am miserable and I got to find another way to do this because this is not working for me. And then I was like, you know what? I bet there are other people that feel this way too. And so I was like, I'm going to fix this for myself because I'm miserable. And then when I figure this out, I'm going to help other people do the same. And if you think about it, that moment in time is exactly what I'm still doing, right? Whatever yeah. I'm going through is what I'm sharing from that day forward. And I had this clicking in of that, like, yes, that is it, Jess, whatever is causing you stress, you want to figure and solve that out for yourself. But you also other people probably are doing that, too. Let's go share what you learn. So I've been doing that from that moment forward. Now, you could say that's intuition, maybe, but what really evolved for me very far past the kind of feeling like that of a knowing that's very deep, but also nonverbal or non really communicative, but just there or not, if that makes sense. When I was 25, I went through a breakup with my college boyfriend. So we loved each other very much, but he hadn't really uh, gone through a personal journey to discover who he was. So when I was excited after three and a half years of being together and having my timeline of what my life should look like, thank you very much. It's like, we should be getting after living together for three years, married sometime soon. He wasn't at that stage yet. And we realized he needed to go figure himself out to find out if that would be with me or with someone else or what. So during that, we were also, I was still a jewelry designer. He was a associate television producer. So we were very cash low. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> And so we were 
not willing to give all of our money to breaking the lease that we had together. So we stayed together for four or five months while we knew we were going to end the day that the lease ended. We were going to end the relationship when the lease ended. So going through that period, staying together, but knowing on September 1st from May, knowing in May, you're going to end a relationship on September 1st and stay in that relationship every day up until that day that you loved and you wanted to continue. But and they loved you too, but they weren't ready. That was a Herculean <laughs> leap in my spirituality because I'd never seen anyone do something like that. I'd never seen it done lovingly and peacefully and beautifully as we did it. But in order to process basically my ego's interpretation of those events and how hard that was, I read Eat, Pray, Love, no surprise. A lot of people, you know, talk about that, the the breakup she had and the journey she had. And who knew that so many years later, I'd end up weirdly having a kind of unplanned, similar journey myself in a different relationship ending. But at the time, I remember at 25, reading the book, and she said something very simple. This is not an exercise. She didn't tell anyone to go do it. But she just said, when I write questions, I hear peaceful answers. And I was at a point where I wanted some peaceful answers. So I decided to try what she said she did in the book. I don't know how many other people actually ever did that. But for me, I was like, well, I'm willing to see if there's an answer here because I'm going through a similar situation. And I did hear peaceful answers. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Peaceful answers to all the stressful questions I have. I'm going to use this every time I'm stressed out. And so I did for many years. Whenever I was stressed out, I would eventually at some point remember, oh, go try that writing thing. So I would, and then I'd get peaceful answers, and then I would feel better, and I'd go back and forth. And I really understood what intuition versus ego meant, as Eckhart Tolle or someone else you know, would, would talk about. And over time, then it became not just when I was freaked out, it just became a daily practice over the years. So by the time the offer for the house and furniture sale came at 31, so like, let's see, six years after I started doing it, I was writing almost every single day. And it wasn't necessarily because I was stressed, although, of course, I would ask about any clarity on stressful situations. It was just a daily practice and continued to be as I traveled because I was alone, essentially, for 20 months traveling the world by myself. So especially in Australia, when I got there a year later, the time zones are so different from anyone in the US or even the friends I had in Europe. So often if I was sad or upset about something, I just had myself to talk to. So I basically use that writing exercise all the time. (laughs) And did you like what before you started this writing after you'd read Eat, Pray, Love, did you did you used to journal? No. I don't actually like journaling. I don't even consider this actually journaling. You could call it a journal. If it it goes in a book that you call a journal, (laughs) you could obviously call it journaling. But the idea, here's the difference to me. And this is just for me. This is not for anyone else. But this is like Jess's ego's perspective on on journaling. It's just the ego's perspective, right? This isn't like this is everyone's experience of it. But the way I, or at least Jess's journaling as an ego, would be that the ego would just be writing to itself. So yes, the ego would get to know itself better if I'm like writing about, I feel this today. There is a level of self-awareness that arises from that if I was to do it that way. But to me, the, the qualitative difference of my current level of understanding on a situation, like why am I upset about this? I don't actually, I might think I know, but when I ask the question and I get the answers, the answers I get are quantum leaps. They are far beyond the level of consciousness of the me that's 
asking the question. Does that make sense? So I'm getting new information where if I was journaling the way my ego likes to think about journaling without this process, I would just be getting to know myself and the problem better. And that might soothe me a little bit, but it's not giving me the solution to the problem. The solution is something I'm not consciously aware of usually because I'm so wrapped up in the problem in my consciousness that I can't access it. And it's only for me when I write to the intuition that I get this leap that's so far beyond my brain's ability to process in that moment. And that to me is real progress versus just like go. It's kind of like the difference, like going to therapy and talking about what happened when you were young and how bad that was, but you're not changing your brainwave state. So you're not actually going into the subconscious where that memory is lodged and stuck and actually deleting it. You're not actually pulling out the weed. You're just talking about how great the weed is or how terrible the weed is and how it's there, but you're not actually removing it when you're going to talk therapy. Yes, it soothes you. Yes, it brings more awareness, but it's not actually changing at the neurological level anything. Or if it does, it takes years, which is why people go to therapy for years versus when you understand the lower brainwave patterns. And by getting into those lower brainwave patterns, you access the subconscious, which is 95% of us, not the 5% of consciousness that we're journaling in or that we're going to therapy in. Does this make sense? I'm weaving in other stuff that I talk about on the show. I love that distinction between coming from the solution and not the problem. I think that's so helpful for people listening. And because so when you were, but when you were first writing, were you just concentrating on, you know, hearing the peaceful answer? Yeah, I just waited for the peaceful answer because because Liz said there would be, <laughs> so I expected there to be. <laughs> but now I've done this with thousand that I've told thousands of people about this, obviously through the show. Yeah. But I probably worked with hundreds of people. I actually just did an amazing intuition intensive where I worked one on one with people in the hot seat, and it was so fun because. When people are first getting to this, one of the biggest things people have to get over, well, there's two. One, the belief that they could hear a peaceful answer that's not in their consciousness right now. And two is there's tons of resistance in the ego to whatever it's going to say. Like there's a fear. There is an attachment the ego often has as much as it wants clarity. If I say, okay, you can go get clarity and it's going to be peaceful and it's going to tell you what you need to do right now. Do you feel any fear of actually knowing what it's going to say? As much as the ego wants the clarity, there's so much resistance because I could tell this. And do you know how many times I have to repeat this to people, even though they already know that I'm going to say that? Why aren't they doing it in the first place, right? They already know I'm going to say that. Why? Because the ego is actually scared as much as it wants the answer. It's scared of it at the same time. Is that because of like the uh, fear of being eradicated? Well, possibly. And also... The, okay, we are growth-seeking beings, right? We're a part of an expanding universe. We're a particle of an expanding universe. The ego wants to keep us safe. What is safe is what is known, even if it's crappy. It's the crappy sandwich it knows. So it feels safe to even stay, even, okay, for the example, okay, I don't like my job. This is a very common one I get. I don't like my job. I don't like my job. I don't know if I should leave. Should I leave? Should I take this other job? I don't know what to do, right? So they want the answer from anyone else outside of themselves. But if I say the answer's in you and all you have to do is go right to it and you'll get, they're like scared that they won't hear anything so they don't want to do it. Or they're actually scared of what they're going to hear. Why do you think that they would be scared of what they're going to hear? What's your thought on that? Or think of yourself as a lawyer. If I told you, go do this two years ago. 
I just think for me, it was just like self-sabotage. Yeah. Well, that's part of it because it's, it's safer. Even though you hated the law job, could you look back on that earlier phase, right? If I said you can go, right. And it might tell you to stay. It might tell you to go right now. I'm not sure what it's going to tell you, but the answer's in you. It's not in me. And how much money would you have paid for me to tell you what to do? Yeah, because then I could, you know, <laughs> give up my my own power, I guess. Then, then it was in someone else's hands. Yes, that is what the ego wants. It wants an authority to tell it what to do versus the fear it has of actually going inside and finding the answer itself. Isn't that so? Why do you think I'm, I'm going to ask you? Because obviously, I'm like kind of immune to a lot of degree about this. But what do you think? Because you are you are still closer to a period of your life where you might have possibly had resistance. to. Did you, did you ever have a resistance to writing to your intuition? Yeah, I, I did. Like I started listening to your show in early 2015 and it took me at least a year before I actually started okay, doing so it. Okay, so let's go through it. So why was it when you first found out about it and I said, hey, every answer you want is inside of you right now. Go do it. <laughs> like you don't have to pay anyone it's free you just get a piece of paper and you start writing for 10 minutes that's it like 10 minutes you got clarity for what you need to do right now why did it take a year I think I was scared of the answer yes people are scared of the answer now why do you think you were scared of the answer because I thought it would tell me like not to leave and I wanted to leave so desperately <laughs> Yeah, so you wanted someone else to tell you to leave, so then it could be okay. Yes, absolutely. Or what if someone said to stay? Would you have stayed better and more comfortably than if your intuition told you to? I don't think so. No. So you basically just wanted the answer you wanted, but you wanted to pay someone else to tell you it. Yes. Yes. Okay, so this is very, very <laughs> common. This is very normal. This is not a – I know it sounds crazy, but it's a completely common – I'll say not normal – common experience because the intuition let's go back to why are we scared right why are we scared to hear it's going to lead you into the unknown because the growth is unknown if you knew what was going to happen it wouldn't be growth right so your intuition is going to lead you not on a path that's comfortable or safe or predictable. It's going to lead you into growth because that's the part of you that's growing. The part of you that's aligned with growing is your intuition. The part of you that's aligned with its nature in the universe that's growing as a universe and as a being in it is growing. So the discomfort you have is the ego saying, no, 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 I got to stay safe. I got to stay comfortable in trying to predict the future, expect the future, and control the future, where the intuition says, I don't need to control things from this manual effort way that the ego loves to do so much. So taking away control from the ego, taking away the knowns from the ego, taking away this external permission slip the ego loves so much from other people is often terrifying for someone that's just getting into this. Yeah. And like, just reflecting on this, I think like also I was so attached to like the drama that was in my head. And that was probably like some, you know, thought pattern that I just, you know, learned over and over again. And so to like, give all of that up to have <laughs> peace, which is what, 
Yeah, your we'll intuition. We'll say we want. Chill. Your intuition is like a little Buddha just just chilling with his eyes closed and like rocking out to some tunes. And then your <laughs> ego is this fire hydrant spewing at you all these monsters that don't really exist. That's so cool. So actually, um, when it comes to write, like I have an intuition journal and then I have a normal journal. In my normal okay. journal, I just, uh, that's what I use when I want to write down, do, you know, get all these worries out of my head, do a brain dump and just get it out, maybe put down all the negative thoughts. Okay, so I put it out, put it in my journal, leave that. That's just, that's when things really full in my brain. And then, but my intuition journal, that's where I connect to my heart. And because that's where I feel it. I know you said yeah, you have the, the gut or the heart, but I connect to my heart and like I really feel into it to this really warm place. And also, how would I do the, how would, what would the answer to this be if I was um, zoomed out of my, you know, situation by zooming out and just waiting to hear? That's how I Good. get those. You answers. are waiting. Yeah. I was going to say, because everything you said might lead people to a little different way than I would like them to think about it, if that's okay. So when you said I'm going to feel into it, there's kind of, it might, you're not saying this, but I just want to like help people to think about this. What you really want to do is get out of your head. So feeling into is kind of like your head feeling things, right? So your consciousness is trying to predict what the answer would be if you're saying the word feeling and it can feel like that, okay? So what I would suggest people do, and I do, like you said, I totally do ask, are you a heart or a gut person? It doesn't really matter what the answer is at all. I'm a gut person, you're a heart person. Most people tend to, the people I work with, be gut, but there are like a strong 25% that are heart and I always want to make sure we're not directing people to a center within themselves that's, uh, or I always want to find the most peaceful, calm center that people gravitate towards. So it doesn't matter which one it is, but I just love getting people out of their head because the head is where the ego's worries are, okay? So I want them not to necessarily think about feeling in. I want them to direct their consciousness, their mind to their body, so to the heart or to the gut. But after that, you listen, you empty the mind and you receive an answer, so you are receiving, not thinking from, oh, what would God say if it was answering me right now? Because that's your consciousness predicting what God would say right now. So it's about receiving an answer from an empty mind that's directing its attention below itself into the gut or into the chest. Does that make sense? I think that's a really great distinction. So for me, I I I have to do this. To get myself out of my head, I have to feel into this heart space. Just yes, you're, for a okay, moment. but let me let me let me just say that just just in case that language is confusing to some people and gets them still in their head. When you say I'm feeling into this heart space, another way of saying that more bluntly and less eloquently is you're paying attention to your chest. Yes. Yes. So when you're saying I'm feeling into this heart space, that can feel like someone's still in their mind, in their ego, pretending to be in their, what, what is heart space really? Right. Versus, okay, I'm just directing my mind to my chest. Like I, that's empty of any ideas, emotion, or projection of what the answer is going to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like I does. want people's minds to be as empty as possible so they can receive as openly as possible because sometimes people have an issue and they they project what they think they're going to hear 
they have a feeling of what God or the universe or intuition was going to say to them. So they write down what they think they should hear rather than actually listening and hearing something new that they didn't expect. Like that's how you know that you got something is when you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? That is not where my mind was at because it came so clearly from a different source than the level of the problem and the question that you're asking. Does that make sense? Does. I was just thinking as well, one of the my struggles when I first started doing this was the um was the waiting and not having yes. an answer. Yes, because that's what I'm thinking is that someone hearing, okay, go into the heart space, they're going to be thinking, what would like someone that's like in a meditation pose say in yoga class, mm -hmm. right? And then they're going to write down that expectation of a response rather than actually listening for from the emptiness, the response. So now, once you're really good at it, so you, Letitia, are totally right. You're feeling into the heart space and you know the frequency, the feeling of that voice. But it's really helpful when people are starting not to have an expectation of what that's going to feel or be heard like. So they can go in and actually hear it. Then they'll tune into it. And then later they can add more eloquent language to it. But those eloquent words sometimes can lead people, I think, to filling in the blanks themselves with their ego as the voice of their intuition rather than actually receiving something new. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I guess the other times is when, you know, like when you, when it just pops into your head and you just know the answer or not into your head, I shouldn't yeah. say that, yeah. but it just pops yeah, in yeah, okay. <laughs> to something yeah, and you know the answer. Would you call that your intuition? I don't know what I call it. I wouldn't bother labeling it. Yes, I call it intuition because it doesn't. Um, what I like about intuition, you could call it inner being, you could call it spirit, you could call it soul, you could call it guides. I, you call it angels, you could call it God. I don't care what we call it, but I like intuition as a term because no one will say they don't have an intuition. So that term to me is easy for everyone to swallow, where if I said any other term, and it doesn't matter. It really ultimately doesn't. All we know and all that matters is this voice you will hear from, whatever you want to call it, will be peaceful about the situation and will tell you what you need to know about the situation to have peace right now. Now, that doesn't mean your ego is going to be peaceful because of the way it's seeing it. It's just going to give you the peaceful way it sees it. Does that make sense? So I'll often get stuff from the intuition that my ego is still afraid about or upset about or doesn't want to do yet. Yeah. Right. And also that's one of the things I like to say to people is don't one of the ways to get over the resistance to asking your intuition or even trying this in the first place is to tell your intuition or tell your ego, I don't have to do whatever I hear. <laughs> I'm willing to ask without giving myself the responsibility of following it right away. Because let's say it's a relationship and someone's like, I don't know, I think I might need to break up with this guy. I'm not sure, you know, and then they they don't actually they think it might be true, but they don't actually want to do it right now. So they're afraid to ask. Well, if you just say, all right, I don't have to do it if it says that I should or I don't have to quit the job or I don't have to stay if it says I should. But I'm willing to find out what the answer is that I get and I don't have to do anything on it yet. I can give myself 30, 60, 90 days, a year. Like you don't have to do it ever or yet. That can help cut some of the resistance to the answer. Uh, I, I think it's that huge. would help massively actually. 
yeah. I don't have to do whatever I hear. Yes, totally. I'm just, gonna, just put it this way. Just say, I'm just going to see what's there. Just say it that way. I'm just going to see what's there. And then I, that's it. <laughs> I don't have to do anything with it. I'm just going to see what's there. But it's so funny. We'll spend $500 to pay an expert to tell us that answer. And we'll go do whatever they say. But if I just say, I'm just going to see what's there for free for five to 10 minutes, <laughs> the resistance people go through to finding within themselves the only information that actually matters. It's, it's amazing, but it's also changing. I think people, once you've had enough pain in the problem, whatever it is, you're willing for a solution. And then at that point, you break through. Yeah, well, that's when you let go. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know what? This is so bad. I can't even qualify or rationalize why I should keep staying in this fearful state. I just got to know. And that's when you kind of surrender and you, you surrender. let go. And you say, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm just going to find out. And actually, you know what? This situation sucks enough that I'm going to change it. And even if that situation that comes next, because I'm following the intuition sucks, which it never does, by the way. I mean, <laughs> the ego might have all these fears, but like really each moment you're fine and you're fine. Even if the ego's not fine, the intuition still is. And as you be able to have the duality in the awareness of the duality, that is the first step of spiritual development that I can say is truly most profound for me in my journey was the awareness of the ego versus intuition and then being able to access the intuition while I still saw all of the feelings and thoughts my ego had. That was the most blessing, beneficial thing that ever happened to me. And so when did the writing to your intuition when it comes to decisions with your business, when did you start doing that? Probably pretty, whenever I was stressed out about business decisions, um, pretty soon after the writing for the relationship stuff. When did you start following your intuition completely in relation to your business and also like where you were going to live? All the time. Had complete faith. Yeah, because once I knew it and I knew how that felt to hear that voice and that perspective, there is, I mean, did that mean my ego didn't have meltdowns about the relationship every single day or often throughout that four month period? It totally did. But it actually was a huge blessing to be able to watch the hissy fist my ego had while I still acted on my intuition showed me that I don't have to follow the guidance of the crabby voice, the upset voice, the scared <laughs> voice. I can actually do things that I know are right while still feeling all the ego's drama. So yeah, I, I, I could never ignore what I knew to be true, personally. I just feel like you're so in tune with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, um, I, I've never had that voice let me down once. Well, I maybe misinterpreted that voice once. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was hearing stuff about a guy that I thought would be my life partner. And it wasn't directly like, well, I don't know. It was an interesting moment of um, kind of questioning, like, did I hear that right or not? But out of even that was a blessing because I've found other ways to connect to intuition, not just through the writing exercise now. So it's great to not always go back to that as the only way to find guidance and, and clarity. So yeah, but otherwise, 
Yeah, I follow it. And even what it was telling me to do, there was no misinterpreting like what it said to do even in that situation. I just really wanted a yes or no of is it this guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I wanted to know is it this guy? Or is it this guy? Or is it this guy? And all the intuition was always like, no, not him, not him, not him for different reasons. But this one, I kind of was the most yesy that I could get. And so it's kind of like I was trying to predict the future with it. It was a little bit like trying to psychically deal with things that were sooner than their time. And all it would say is like, go enjoy your life right now. And when he's ready, it'll happen. So who knows? Maybe it still will. I don't even know. I'm not holding my breath on it. But um, it just said, you know, be where you are. Know that all is well. And that's consistently been true. I just kind of was trying to push the envelope and see, could I tell the future? Not just what do I need to have peace right now? So that also might. I wouldn't say go ask for like, yeah, future scenarios of like yeah. 10 years from now. It will give you what you need to have peace right now. Because I think also in some part, like you are creating your future as you go. Yes. So you can make new so the advice it could give you about the future could be true in that moment. But as you make new experiences, and especially in an example of like a partner, like that person also has to make their decisions and their choices. So those are out of your hand as well. So anyways, that's kind of the only one. But I wouldn't say by any means, like everyone should not do this because Jess was confused as she tried to know the future one time, 10 years <laughs> into this whole process. Like, by far, I will tell you, I might misinterpreted that. I might have tried to predict the future more than actually getting or following what it actually told me to do all along. Does that make sense? Like, don't let that deter you. Yeah. I <laughs> have traveled the world. I've grown a ridiculous business. I have had amazing experiences. Like, all of that has come from following intuition. One time I wanted to know if it was this guy, and I thought I kind of interpreted a yes, and maybe it wasn't in the way I wanted it to be a yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's not, like, throw the baby out yeah, with the bathwater. Yeah, exactly, right? It's, but that is but maybe that's a good example to share of like, okay, guys, don't always go to like, like I did, you know, like, okay, let's, is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Let's, let's project the rest of my life onto this one question I'm asking on the page right now. <laughs> like, let's go, what do I need to have peace right now? And my favorite way, if you're curious on how to get started, especially the first five years of this, because I'd always go when I was upset about something, I would say, why am I upset about whatever the subject is. And then I would hear often the answers because you're scared. And now it's funny because like sometimes I'll hear because you're scared. Sometimes it'll correct me and say because you're worried or sometimes because you're anxious. It'll it'll tell me what the emotion is. That I don't even I know it feels bad, but I it'll say you're worried. And then I'll say about what or why. And when they when that voice tells me why I'm upset, the answer nine times out of 10 shocks me. I don't understand at the level that I'm upset about what the real root is most of the time. Does that make sense? So that's where you're like, whoa. And so yeah. then I go, why? And then I have a whole dialogue from that point. That's when I'm getting to the new deeper understanding. Yeah. So how do you get to the solution then? Well, the, it has a solution. So you keep going. But when I get that, it's in the understanding. Yeah. And then what you, I love asking, and only in this case do I love the word should. I don't like the <laughs> word should because the ego shoulds all over itself all the time. You should do this. You should do that. Now, ego shooting on you is doing nothing. It's just giving you guilt and shame and obligation. So that's not useful. But if you ask the expert, you your ego desperately wants to spend $500 to ask, what should I do next? Right? You do want to ask the should question to the expert. You do want to do that when you desperately want an answer from someone else. The only time I think should is useful is when you're asking the intuition. 
So I don't think you should any, don't ask anyone else what you should do. Don't ask your ego what you should do. Only ask what your intuition, what you should do next. And then this is where, this is my big caveat on the boy thing, right? <laughs> ask what I should do next. Is this my next partner? Or this is my next thing to do, right? Don't say, is this my forever always person? Like that's what like I was doing. Is this my, what should I do next? And even in my situation with that guy, it was like, be where you are and know all as well. And if I had just done that, I would have saved myself five months of drama writing to my intuition about a guy that didn't show <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that's the thing, because the, the ego wants that certainty and it's just so frustrated oh, yeah, with that answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I told, so obviously I'm still like dealing with my own ego today to this point. Um, and I'll also find that people usually, I like to say the ego has a favorite chew toy. So it usually has one aspect or area of your life that it's more resistant or focused on than the others. So I'm like really good about like flowing and listening to my intuition about work, like no problem, no, like total flow and allowing there. But in the relationship stuff, that's where my ego gets more um, fixated. And once that certainty, right, I wasn't trying to find, is this a good guy for me right now? Or is this going to happen in this moment? It was like, no, I would literally ask the questions. And this is recently too, right? So I can still know all this stuff, but my ego's still here too. So it's like, is he my forever life partner in this physical life existence, right? I would get try to get so specific with it. And it would give me kind of vague, but seemingly positive answers. So I kept interpreting those vague, but seemingly positive answers as yes, he is this person. He is this security for my ego. Um, and instead of just doing what it always told me I should do, in terms of what should I do next, be where you are and let him do his thing. He'll come to you. <laughs> and I could not let that actually be the way I live my life for a really long time. Now I have, thank God, and move past it. But that was an interesting, and I think hopefully that's a story that people can relate to in some way, in some aspect of their life yeah. that they too might that. But just like find out what should I do next? That is a wonderful answer to receive if you're really truly hearing from this deep place and not the ego pretending or masking it as the intuition. And and so Jess, then how did flow, the concept of flow come into your life? It came in when a friend, Katie Daleabout, uh, who has a podcast as well, uh, I went to lunch with her one day and she made a little innocent comment. She's like, do you ever listen to Abraham Hicks? And I was like, I'd heard the name, but I didn't know of it. And she goes, I like to listen to him while I do work on YouTube. So I went home and I looked it up. So there was obviously, you know, sometimes people will be like, you have to read this book. It's life changing. And you like don't want to read it. <laughs> and then someone else will see the smallest comment. And you're like, oh, I'll go do that. Because it's right for you. If it resonates, you go do whatever it is. If it's not right for you, you don't. So I did it and loved it. And I was like, oh my God, this explains why my life's gotten better and better and better. Why my relationship ending was so positive and happened at the happiest point in my life. And it unfolded beautifully and everything else is unfolding beautifully. So I was like really happy and satisfied when I found it. And I was like, oh, this is explaining why my life has gotten so dramatically better. So I got obsessed and they talked a lot about flow and that's how I found it. Wow. So do you see yourself, your life as like life before flow and life after flow? I would definitely say there's life before traveling for two years or 20 months and life after that. So the before and after of the travel and that aligns with when I found the concept of flow. So yes, I would say flow is like inextricably linked in my mind to my travels because I found out about that in April, uh, flow and Abraham and all that stuff. 
May is when I left and sold my house and started traveling. So like literally weeks later, I had no furniture stuff and I was flowing around the world. So it was very quickly. I got the idea, got the tools. And then it was like, all right, now you're going to go do it for two years <laughs> without. How would you describe in like a nutshell what flow is? <laughs> flow is doing the thing that feels best right now from the most authentic place you have access to. So you could, your, your next thing that feels that great could be eating a cookie, a cookie. Now, eating the entire box of cookies is not probably the next most aligned thing at the deepest level of yourself. <laughs> but having a cookie or doing something um, like watching a YouTube video of a hippo dancing or something, I don't know, right? Like <laughs> watching things or, or watching the Gilmore Girls during the day or eating a cookie or chocolate or getting a massage or buying a shirt or booking a trip, right? These things done by the ego will be done to an extreme that is no longer enhancing your life or fulfilling. But in and of themselves, if they are, or maybe it's doing work, or maybe it's answering this email, or maybe it's answering this call, or um, I don't know, soothing this baby's crying, whatever it is. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be something super um, seen as pleasure, or something that's super seen as work or whatever. But whatever that next thing is to go do it. But that doesn't mean and obviously the ego likes to say, wait, 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 if I just do exactly what I want all the time, I'd never get any work done, right? Well, at the deepest core of your being at the deepest well being state, your inner being intuition doesn't want you to go broke, it doesn't want you to lose your house, it doesn't want you to ignore your children's crying all the time. It wants the best for you at all levels. So the ego will say, I can't possibly allow myself to do the next thing that feels the best because then I never get anything done. But that's only because if the ego was in charge, it would do that thing to such a degree that then you wouldn't be in alignment or happy. But the next thing that you're called to do could be something like a cookie or it could be an email. There's no wrong or right. There's no better or worse. It's just about doing whatever it is for that moment because it's that fulfilling and then moving to the next thing after that, not staying stuck, right? We Our egos like to tell us what to do, which is like, you got to eat all the cookies if one tastes good or you have to finish all the emails that are in your inbox, not just the one you're feeling called to answer, right? It's just taking you out of that alignment of the next thing that feels right to do from an egoic standpoint. So when you can really access this deeper place within you and follow that next thing it tells you to do, that's flow. Does that make sense? I want to qualify that so that people don't think, okay, Jess, they're going to throw out what I said because they're like, I'll never get anything done. No, that's not true. At the deepest level, you don't really want to eat to the point that you feel sick. And I was a binge eater for many years. So I'm saying that to my old self too. I used to like sit with my legs up the wall because I would eat so much cookie dough that I couldn't feel good, right? That was not my inner being's highest calling. Eating some cookie dough, sure. Eating that much cookie dough where you're laying up your legs up the wall, no, that's not my inner being telling me to do that. Yeah, there's always that moment where, you know, at first it's like, great, this is giving you the feelings that you desired. Yeah. And then it there's the tipping point. And yes. but you you keep it's like chasing your losses. You're like, okay, but I'm just yeah. gonna continue doing Damn. this and it just gets worse and worse. Yeah, because gambling, I, I think of gambling, I don't barely ever do it. I did it once on a cruise ship and I was like, all right, for this, this is an entertainment for $50. Like I'm going to pay to be entertained for $50. 
right? And so I did it until the $50 was up. And I didn't even end up making money. I just ended up losing it. But I looked at it as the cost of the entertainment. But people that are like, but then after that, but I can make more, I can make it back. And they keep pouring more money in, right? So they don't pay attention to that tipping point in that case. So it could this be the same for cookies, shopping, sex, anything, anything can be done from the egoic place of chasing, like you said, your losses, like you got some level of uh, joy out of it. So I'm going to keep doing it, but you're actually getting no joy out of it after a certain point. When I say do the next thing that feels good, if you're actually aware and you're not living in the ego, it will tell you that the next thing that feels good is something different than the thing you're doing now, right? So it'll have a cookie and then it'll have an email and then it'll have uh, answering the phone and then it'll have you go on a run and it'll have you do different things <laughs> that give you all the things. But it's different. It's not doing one thing to the point where you're unhappy by doing that thing. Does that make sense? I feel like it's also uh, always like filling yourself up, the ego. Yes. That's what it wants. It's more, more, it- more, something outside of me. Well, your intuition's still going to call you to do new things because you're not here to be uh, sitting on the pillow in your room doing nothing. You are here to enjoy the universe that you're part of. It's just doing it unconsciously. And by that, I mean, it's doing it to a point where it no longer feels good and it keeps thinking it'll feel better if it keeps doing it. Does that make sense? Yes. The ego is just doing things to a point where it's no longer feeling good. So drinking, right? A, a glass of wine might taste great. Having a bottle of wine, the ego might think, you know, another glass will be great. But your intuition may not be saying that glass is necessary. And the difficult thing with drinking is that your consciousness is actually getting dulled and the response and the ability to connect to your intuition often, the more you drink is more hidden so it's less you're less aware so it's really tricky but like same with food yeah absolutely. and i having had nine years of eating issues i can speak very clearly and very detailed about food and the ego's interpretations of it your intuition will want to eat chocolate possibly maybe it won't but it might want to have it but it's never going to have it to a point it would be detrimental to the cells of your body where the ego's not thinking at all about the cells of your body it's trying to fill itself up and feel better but it's actually not aware of what the next thing that will feel better will be does that make sense yeah that was you just answered my question because i i wanted to (laughs) my next question was but why does the ego want us to keep having more and more Actually, I can tell you the coffee, my mochas, I'm noticing it with my ego right now. I remember, I have memories and associations of my, I love four, four sigmatic coffees, a sponsor of our show. And I just love it so much. And so I have like two to three a day. And I remember when I had two a day in the beginning and how wonderful it tasted and how great I felt. I think I have a memory that I have my, like a neural net has been created a neural network, a little firing, wiring, Um, memory association I have is this level of pleasure and this coffee. And I'll say that I'm aware enough to notice that I still have two to three a day, but I don't get the same level of joy that I got that first time, but I keep doing it anyways. Now this is a pretty benign thing. It's half a the cup, the level of caffeine of a regular cup of coffee. So it's not like I'm having um, something that's super detrimental necessarily to myself right now. But if it was three cheeseburgers, that would be different. Right. But, um, (laughs) The, uh, and even that's, I guess, a relative term, really. <laughs> you can yeah. actually, I'm into visualization and quantum. I'm like, well, really, like, if we don't believe it, well, our bodies actually respond to our belief more than our um, physicality. But the difference is 
the ego remembers old associations of joy and the level of feeling that we got and keeps chasing that old joy versus checking in with what do I need to feel peaceful now? What feels best now? What feels best now? What feels best now? What feels best now? Right? So like a relationship can have gone stale a really long time ago and you've known it's time to end, but you remember how good it felt in the beginning and you keep trying to go back to that because it felt good in the beginning, but your intuition knows that this is not going forward the right path for you, but you're holding on to the joy and the rush you had in the beginning. And now there are times when your intuition is saying, yes, stay in this and your ego is the one kind of wanting to get out. And in that case, thinking back to those good feelings in associations is great because it helps you tap into the deeper why that your intuition is also keeping you there for. But if it's the opposite, the ego just holds on because it has these associations and it doesn't want to live into the growth of the future. The intuition is going to guide you to what's going to feel best for you now and now and now. Um, the best one I can tell you is for me, the, the last year, I had extreme amounts of joy and alignment from studying, reading and writing stuff down. I did it all day, every day, almost for six days a week for a year. And I like read all day for a year. Like it was amazing. And I loved it because it felt so good. But what's interesting about it is there's very little to addict me to it. So it's not like caffeine or alcohol or sugar or sex or any of these other things. Like, yes, it felt good when I did it. But like, there's very little reason to keep reading for all day, every day for a year, if you're not feeling the joy of it. So that's been one I've noticed that the the payoff got lower. And I've just let that be okay, instead of holding on like I am with the coffees. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So have you started doing something else to then, you know, yes, into alignment? Yes, exactly. So what it was, and I could actually, this is so interesting, as I've practiced this and been aware of this stuff, so obviously, this wasn't me years ago, but I started to get to the point where I could predict the shifts. So I was like, oh, this is bringing me joy, but I can tell this isn't going to keep fulfilling me in the long term. And I could tell what felt exciting next. It was meditation. So I've been studying the brainwave states. I've been studying the subconscious. I've been studying all of these things. And a lot of them had to do with consciousness, brainwave states, and meditation. So after studying them for a year and doing like a little bit of meditation, but not the deep dive that I'm doing now, I could tell that instead of wanting to know this stuff, I started to want to experience the stuff I learned, right? I know it all, but I don't want to just read about it in a book. I want to I want to experience these states they're talking about. I want to know, I want to, I want to feel what it's like to be in gamma brainwave state, right? So that became the new joy. So I dialed back. So I still read when it feels good for as long as it feels good. But then I've now get the same payoff I used to get from the reading in meditation for 45 minutes to an hour a day, which was not what I was doing when I was reading all day, every day. And actually, I wanted to ask you before with meditation, when did that come into your journey? Probably on and off from 26, 27 and more and more consistently from there. And it's had many different iterations. There's actually like stages of meditation to me. If you want to hear what they are, I can tell you. (laughs) Go ahead. Is there my journey, my journey with meditation? (laughs) Okay, I should, I should meditate. Meditation is important. I should. I was shooting all over my ego shooting, right? I should. I should do that. I should do that. Everyone's talking about it. I should do it. They're looking good. They're meditating. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they're looking good and they're feeling good. Like I, I like their energy. I should do that. Okay, now I'll try it. So I did it for like five or 10 minutes a day on and off. And then I'd be like, I should, I should, I should. And I was like, I don't, I think I feel better, but I'm not sure. 
I don't know if I feel any better. Okay. Then I like take a week off because I just something would happen. Momentum would build and I I would travel or something. I wouldn't do it. And then I would get into it again later. And then I wasn't convinced that anything was really happening, but I would I would keep doing it. And then eventually I'd stop doing it again. And then I would notice that I felt crankier during the day when I didn't do it. And I was like, oh, I, I feel like I didn't think it was doing anything. But I, when I don't do it, it's worse than when I do it. So I should keep doing it. Okay. I don't want to be cranky anymore. I guess I'll meditate. Okay. I keep meditating. And then eventually I liked it. <laughs> like a year later, I was like, oh, I actually am enjoying this. And then more and more and more time went on. And it was like, oh, I want to meditate right now. That is more fun than TV. That is more fun than being with a friend right now. That is more fun than other things. Not that it's always more fun or only the thing I want to do, but it's actually gotten to the point where meditation is just, or actually it's more interesting than movies or TV. That's so cool. So that was a journey. That's like five years of like how I felt about meditation. When do you think the turning point was for, you know, it's more fun than TV? When, after the alignment time, I'd say after all that years of study, now doing the 45 minute to hour long meditations, right? So what I'm doing now is far more than just scanning your body for an hour or, or sorry, scanning your body for 10 minutes with a yoga meditation, right? Those mind body scanning things and those um, chanting for 20 minutes, those things are great and they are great to teach you how to do this stuff. But the other meditations I'm doing now are kind of like, opening up my pineal gland and like, I want to like see mystical realms and I want to go have fun adventures in meditation. So why and what I'm experiencing and going for are very different than just calming the mind minutes, which is very powerful. And it is where to start. I'm not saying, Oh, go astral travel right now, guys <laughs> start from zero to that. Like, no, I think that the other stuff that's out there, like headspace and um, those meditation apps that are out there, tarp rock, that kind of stuff. It's all great. Buddhism and the meditations there. I've done those retreats. I've done that stuff. Great. But there's other ways to do meditation too, which are also just really exciting to me where I'm at now. So cool. Like it's, that's, that's what's so great about meditation is there's just so many different ones to try. And like my own experience has been, you know, I'll start doing some, doing a, a type. Sometimes I just create it myself and then um, eventually I'll start getting, you know, a bit bored of that. So I'll try something different or it's usually because I'm excited to try something else. And then I move to that one and you just forever, you know, continuing to, uh, change and I guess evolve with whatever you're called to do. Amen. You said it beautifully. And so Jess, I also just wanted to bring up, and I, I know we've been talking for a while, so I'll start to wrap things up, but with your um, business, you have always approached it with not marketing. Well, <laughs> no, or more recently. I, I don't know. Was yeah, it more recent yeah. or has it been always? And like, what, why did you make that decision? It wasn't a made decision. Okay. <laughs> I guess I guess you'd have to make a decision to market. I never m made that decision to market. <laughs> <laughs> so I never made the decision, I guess. You, does that make sense? You'd have to make the decision to market. I never made it. So 
I that is only true for the lively show and the classes, by the way. That's not true for the jewelry company that I had years ago. Years ago with the jewelry company, I did use ads on other blogs that had big followings. I did pay for ads to get the jewelry company out there. So that was true. I did market the jewelry company um, in the form of blog ads. But yeah, now I trust that the people that are going to resonate are going to find it when they need to. I just think that's such a great um, perspective when it comes to running a business because uh, I, I think it's all with the, you know, sort of the hustle and effort mentality and striving, striving, striving. So it sits beautifully with the more flowing approach, uh, which is, you know, what what you really want and need is going to come to you or those people who are going to be matches for you will find you. Yes, but you have to recognize I don't have the belief that that can't work. (laughs) So if someone thinks that like, oh, but if I don't market, then no one's going to find me, then that belief will create that reality. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. So you can still do the same thing and have a different belief than me and you'll get a different outcome. Very important distinction. Yes, I love that. So make sure you don't have any blocks to whether that could work for you. (laughs) And you may not even consciously know if they're there. They might be like more subtle than the direct obvious warning signs. But it's something to think about. And also, I would say that the jewel or not the jewelry company, the podcast in the first few seasons of the show, I had many guests that would end up sharing their episode with their audience, which was a way of it getting out there beyond just me sharing to my audience alone. So, and also I would really say that, but I've stopped doing that. I don't even tell the guests what I didn't even, you knew it was going to go on your episode, but like, I don't even email people to say, Hey, your episode's live. <laughs> I used to be more like that years ago and be like, Hey, if you want to share this with your audience. And I used to hope that they did. I, I give zero cares. <laughs> I really do now not care. And like, I actually had a friend who was like, Jess, your business could be, I guess if I timestamp it by what he said, he really thinks that it could be t- 20 times what it is revenue wise. And he's probably right. I mean, I think that there probably could be so much, but I don't care. Does that make sense? Like I'm not driven to do it, to make it 20 X just because it could be 20 X. It's just not where I'm driven. Yeah, but also that's, it's also, you know, like your definition of success is. Um, Alignment. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had it 20 times the size it is, what would be the ramifications for, you know, how you'd have to live your life? What would you. Oh my God. You know what I literally have done? I actually have noticed as I followed this this way of teaching that my business has doubled every year where I used to, when I used to grind and hustle the way that people normally do with marketing and stuff like that, I would always try to get to these goals I'd set for myself and I'd end up just shy or just barely getting to it. And as I let go of all of that stuff and I just focus on my alignment and sometimes I would like briefly at the beginning of the year go, what would it be like to be at that level of income? Now having no idea how that would actually happen. I was just like, what would it feel like? And then I would let it go. And then it would double and it would double. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do 10% more this year. It was doubling without trying. So I was like, well, I was brushing my teeth one night recently. And the I thought about that doubling number just because it seems to have been the pattern lately. It doesn't have to be. It just seems to have been. So I was like, well, if that happened, what would that be? And all of a sudden, like kind of out of the sky, because it wasn't, I'm obviously not driven by it, but it, at the number 10x, the doubled number 
dropped in my head. Now, does this mean that I'm going to get that number this year? No, I don't care. I don't know if I ever will. Maybe I will in the future. It doesn't matter. But the number itself made me go, whoa, where'd that come from? And then it made me think, what would my life be like at that level? Because I'm going to have this amount of joy and alignment that I already have or more that, you know, that to that level, what would have to happen so that I could still have this love of life and joy and freedom and time and abilities and all the stuff I have now, what would that look like? And it's been so fun because one of the things I did based on that random little situation was I realized like any of these little um, niggling like doubts or insecurities about personal stuff or business stuff, you know, those kind of things that you kind of deal with because they're just kind of in your vibration right now. I was like, well, they would not be there. At TEDx, <laughs> they're, they're not in that frequency. So I don't care if I ever get there. But just that little idea and the the observation of what that would be like has actually led me to spending a lot of time for fun and wanting to delete all of those limiting beliefs through a process called theta healing. So I've been working with someone in the last week or two in the evenings, just thinking of a list of all the stuff that would not be on my mind if I was at that (laughs) level, just going through one by one by one, as long as it takes for me to get rid of as much of this as I can think about would that would not be in my vibration at that level, which has been fun because I wouldn't have really thought, oh, I should get rid of these things. Until the idea of being at that higher level showed up and I was like, well, I don't have to be at that level to get rid of these things, but I don't think these things would be there. So it's not about trying to get to that level. It's actually just trying to feel as good as that level would feel. And who cares? It probably is much more likely to happen, but I'm not even doing it for that level because I already feel so good. I'm so satisfied with where I'm at. And I'm eager for more. But what I'm eager for more right now is the peace and the joy that I've already realized I'd have from letting go of these little things I've always assumed they're just a part of where I'm at right now. Does that make sense? So cool. Yes. And um, I'm so excited because tomorrow I'm doing my Theta Healing training. (laughs) Ah, I hope you love it. I'm sure that I will. (laughs) So cool. So Jess, is there any advice that you would give to one of our listeners who might be at the beginning of their journey and they really, really have that deep desire within them to find uh, a meaningful career or discover their purpose, but they just have no idea where to start? You want me to have my intuition answer it? (laughs) Yes. Okay, let's see how it goes. No promises, guys. All right. Whenever you're deciding what you need to do next, remember that there's only one choice to make, and that is to listen to yourself above all else. And without trying or listening for why beyond the voice within you, you'll find that you have all the peace you'll ever need and more abundance as well. There you go. That's... (laughs) That's some pretty amazing advice. <laughs> Is it good? It's I, I, Yeah, it seems pretty obvious to me. But yes, very well said. Well, Intuition. <laughs> very well said. But also, I think, overlooked by most because of all the reasons we discussed earlier on um, yeah. in this interview. So, um, yeah, always good to have a reminder, and especially when it comes from Jess's intuition. <laughs> oh, yeah, Joe, whatever you want to call it. By the way, if anyone wants to know how to write to this, and we've talked a lot about it, but it still might not be clear, um, just so they know where they can get more information yeah, for it. 
yeah, just so they know, you guys can go to jesslively.com slash intuition. There I've like explained all of this in a little bit more formal fashion. So if you are like, this sounds great, but I really don't still get it. Like you could go there and it'll give you more details. And Jess, are there any rituals that you do on like a day-to-day basis? Um, lately, the things that bring me joy are any rituals that I have. Uh, listening to Abraham when I'm alone. Um, <laughs> mocha, lot my little mochas by Four Sigmatic. Love those. Rose petals in them sometimes. Um, they look so beautiful on your Instagram pictures. I love yeah. Those. Love it. Why not? Right? I think those are probably the most consistent things messaging with friends i like the meditation when it flows to do those all about fun yeah it is i really believe that we create our own reality and i've decided i want mine to be fun i love it and if you were a color what color do you think you would be the word i just heard joe intuition whatever was light (laughs) that's not even it's like a sparkle. Yeah, that's what I would be. A sparkle or sun or you know, what, you guys know, like the you know, like the light off the water. I call it sparkle water when the light sparkles yes, off the water. Yes, that's what that's the the color that showed up in my mind. I've never heard it before. It sounds so hippie. <laughs> so light. hippie. You know, of, your sparkle water. Now every time we have a canal near us, and I love it because I run by it and I just love being by the water. And whenever it's sunny in London, uh, which has actually been quite often recently, there has been the most beautiful sparkle water, and I've been filming it and just uh-huh. loving it. And I and I always think of you. Um, <laughs> so my last question is just as far as you know today or not even know, but, you know, feel or, or whatever, what, what's in store for Jess Lively for 2018? Okay. Let's ask, let's ask intuition. It's more yes. fun. I should try to do this. It takes more time, right? Or thought for me to, <laughs> not thought, non-thought, but it's like processing, I guess. <laughs> <Non-thought>. Okay. <laughs> what's next for Jess in 28? Oh, this is so, I'm curious about the answer, right? This is what happens guys. When you try this, you're like, what's the answer going to be? I don't know. <laughs> Cause I don't know. Okay. What's, it, what's Jess going to have in 2018? She's going to be happy indeed. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a reading. Um, she's going to be happy indeed. And she's going to find that her biggest inspiration is going to come from within herself and all will be well. It always loves to end with all will be well. Um, Oh, interesting. It's going to come from within myself. All right. That's not very direct to your question. No, I like, li- no, this is great. It's perfect. So yeah. Jess, thank you so much for sharing so openly with us today. Not just here actually, but also on the lively show <laughs> and everywhere thank else you. that you show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're <laughs> like being, it's really the answer. Not usually in the inbox, more often on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> but really like your honesty and your vulnerability is truly special and like you're so relatable and yet you're always challenging the status quo and <laughs> answering color questions with light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, I think that you're, well, we're all creators, but you're also an innovator. And I believe, and I know that you also share this um, view is that it's necessary for all of us to evolve by you know innovating and so yeah I just wanted to thank you and acknowledge you for like your beautiful inspiration and that the support that you've provided me and many other of your listeners and yeah it's just like I can't thank you enough so thank you (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you for sharing your light with me. I love that. It's just a reflection. I always say this is like, that's a reflection of the light in you, right? For you to be able to appreciate like that isn't about me. It has nothing to do with me. It's just the light in you reflecting at me. So thank you for that light. I appreciate it. So there it is, my friends. I hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with the one, the only Jess Lively. The day after we recorded this episode, I did my Theta Healing training. And so off the back of this episode and what I learned during my training, my understanding of intuition has been cracked right open and I'm still processing it all. Don't be like me and take a year before you start trying to connect with your intuition. Do what Jess suggests and relax the ego by letting it know that you don't have to follow whatever the intuition tells you. Everyone has their own intuitive library and it is up to us to become familiar with it and learn to trust its guidance. You can find Jess's work over at www.jesslively.com and connect with Jess on Instagram at jesscLively. You'll also find the show notes for this episode over at www.letisharange.com forward slash jesslively along with a link to the intuition page that Jess talked about during our conversation. And if all of this seems really over your head, don't worry. I have a wonderful program that is completely free that guides you over 21 different actions and concepts with practical ways to implement them into your life. You can get access to that by signing up for my newsletter over at www.letisharange.com forward slash subscribe. And if you haven't yet left a review on iTunes or SoundCloud for this podcast, I would be so honored if you could please leave a review and let us know how you are enjoying it. Have a beautiful week, my friends, and I'll see you on the next episode with some more tools to help you unlock your truth and purpose.